Our Lord and our God, you are wonderful. We thank you for the many blessings you have given us, Lord. We do not deserve the grace that your Son, Jesus Christ, gave us freely. Lord, we ask you to bind us together as a church family today, and may the Holy Spirit penetrate us and bind us closer together. Lord, we ask that the word be read clear and that we understand and we can apply your word, and may we may be an example to folks out there that do not know the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we ask that we be a blessing to each other as we listen to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. It's wonderful to be in the front of the church. I've been kind of helping out with the nursing home preaching, but it's nice to be with our congregation. So that's wonderful. So, um, just a question. Does size matter? Now, that's kind of an odd way to open a sermon, um, but when we think about this, does size matter? You know, the bigger, the better. You know, uh, hey, a bigger engine in a car, you know, I have a bigger house, you know. Uh, for me, it's usually, well, I want like two or three scoops of ice cream as opposed to one. You know, is that necessarily better? I don't know. I, I don't know. But is, is it better? And You know, as a society we have become so focused on more and bigger and, and better. And this is kind of the thought we want to think about. Does size really matter at the end of the day? Can little things cause more damage than bigger things? So let me put it into perspective here. <clears throat> During World War II, the biggest weapon that was utilized... Uh, was a rail type of gun uh, that was in Nazi Germany, and it was called the uh, Schwerer Gustav. Just to give you some perspective on this, the gun itself weighed 1,350 tons. The barrel of the gun itself was 106 feet long. It took 250 soldiers to assemble it, and it took three days to assemble it. And at the same time, there were 2,500 other soldiers digging a trench to lay the tracks to put this gun on top of. It fired a bullet or a shell that was 31 inches in diameter, and they could do that every 45 minutes. Okay, It was, it was pretty accurate for about 39 kilometers, and the, the shell weighed 4,800 kilograms, so that's just under 10,000 pounds. Okay? Um, and now, the destruction it would cause would be a crater like a hole in the ground that was about 30 feet deep by 30 feet wide. So if we actually kind of do the math on this, um, there were 700 kilograms of explosive, or, you know, the, the charge inside the shell, which was 4,800 kilograms. And when you, when you average out how much, what percentage of that causes the destruction, that's 14.6% of the total mass that would cause the destruction. So let's compare something else here. Let's compare another weapon that was much smaller, much, much smaller. So at the end of World War II, um, there was the first atomic bomb called the Little Boy. And it was dropped on Hiroshima, as we know. Um, it was about 64 kilograms, or sorry, it had 64 kilograms of explosive, so the not really explosive, enriched uranium inside a shell that was 4,400 kilograms in weight. 
In perspective, the little boy, they called it, was about 10 feet long and about 28 inches in diameter. And it had a blast yield or a damage, it could cause damage, of about 15 kilotons of dynamite, TNT. And it could spread, which would spread over just under two kilometers. So a little bit smaller weapon causing more destruction. So when we do the math on that, so 64 kilograms of uranium, this explosive inside the shell, which is 4,400 kilograms, it's about 1.45% of the total mass that causes destruction. So let's look at an even smaller weapon, the human tongue. So the average male, average male weighs, not me, the average male weighs about 68.4 kilograms. And the average tongue weighs about 70 grams. So that translates into 0.07 kilograms. Now when we do the math on that, okay, that's about 0.1%. The tongue is only 0.1% of the total body weight that can cause damage. So you might be thinking, well, wow, like the, wow, the West Lauren Baptist Church really is a, you get history, it's a full service church, you get history lessons here, you know, we do kind of a quick math review, or more than likely you're thinking, Dwayne, are you finally lost it, haven't you? Like it's, you're, you've, you're, you're, you've really lost it. Well, not just yet, okay, not just yet, my friends. But what I'm trying to do is point out, and we can see, we use the, I use the example of like ammunition and the damage that that can cause as it relates to this overall size. Even though the weapon is large, it's not an accurate reflection of the damage that can occur, okay? Clearly, in these cases, the biggest gun caused some destruction. Um, that atomic bomb, which was much smaller, caused enormous destruction. But what about the tongue? What about our tongue? It's the smallest of these three weapons, if you will, that I'm trying to use as an example um, that we're discussing. So what does the Bible say? So the Bible does say, yes, the tongue can and will be a weapon. It can be for good, for utterance of good, for the gospel, or it can be as sharp as a razor, and it can be very destructive and cause pain, okay? So when I kind of look at ourselves during this pandemic, and, you know, I'm sure that all of us have thought about things, and more importantly, we may have said things that do not really reflect a Christ-like presentation, okay? There's many reasons for this. This may be due to stress, you know, from, from job loss, um, the fear of not being able to purchase food, to buy food to survive, the uncertainty uh, of our future health um, as a result. And we may say things that we would not normally say, okay? The tongue is indeed a powerful weapon. It is very a powerful weapon, if you will. We've seen over the course of history, the, the tongue has started wars. It's caused wars. It's put laws into place. Um, it's also been used to defend and to teach, and more importantly, is pro to provide encouragement and inspiration and hope and hope, which is displayed in the words of Jesus Christ. And that is really all that matters. 
So I'm going to ask a few questions here, and we're going to tear apart the Scripture. We're going to exegete the Scripture, if you will, to find these answers. We're going to observe it and examine it and go down this path together. So the four questions. Number one, who is accountable for the tongue? Who is accountable for this? Is it us? Is there something else going on? The second question, is a small object like a tongue really that powerful? Is it really that powerful? The third one, can we tame the tongue? Is it able to be tamed? Is it able to be brought down and under control? And the fourth one, is the tongue hypocritical? So these are not easy questions to answer, but thanks be to God and our Savior Jesus Christ that we have the Bible to give us these answers, to look and search and find these answers, to observe, to interpret, and then apply to our lives. So I invite you to join me today uh, as we go through this passage uh, in your Bible. We're going to go to the book of James, and I'll invite you to turn to chapter 3. So James 3, uh, it's one of the epistles, it's closer to the end of the New Testament. Um, and we're going to read through verses 1 to 12 to observe God's word and seek clarity in the scripture. So I'm going to be utilizing the ESV, um, but... Use whatever version you have with you today, and we'll go through this together. And we're going to look at God's word and give thanks for his word. So James 3, 1 to 12. <clears throat> this is God's word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great is a forest, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting fire on the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison." With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. May God bless the reading of his holy word. 
So let's look at our first question here. The first one, who is accountable for the tongue? So we're going to start looking at these verses and start breaking them down. So when we read verses 1 to 2 of James 3, James makes it very, very clear when he states, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This first verse with the tone kind of sets the realization that we need to choose our words wisely. And those who are instructing and teaching the Bible and, you know, guiding Christians down the right path, we need, you have to be cognizant of this. It's displaying that those who teach the word of God will be judged very, very strictly for the words that they choose to utter, whether inside the church or outside the church. And sometimes outside the church, that's where the big impact comes in. So history shows us that the early church teachers were very important for the dissemination of the gospel of Christ. Some did this, you know, purely to bring the gospel of Christ, to show the glory of God, to show that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and that there is no other way to the Father except through him. And there are some that did this for personal ambition. They did this for their own greed, their reasons to raise their status in the community, the wrong reasons. So Jesus speaks to this. Uh, he speaks to these wrongful motives. We can, if we look to the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verse 8, where he states, he's, he's, he's talking to his disciples, he's talking to the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes and that, he goes, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. So when he was speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, he justly points out in that verse, and it's, it's very subtle, that there are wrongful reasons for being teachers. Okay, We can see the truth in his words. We see the truth in when we're in a position of authority to bring God's word, and we see that the lack of this uh, and if we back up a couple verses, this really helps to tie it together within Matthew 23. So let's look at verses 2 through 5. And this helps to justify verse 1 in James, which states, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do not observe what they tell you. But, so, observe, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. So, essentially, the, what do you, the Pharisees were essentially, they were a lot of talk. Uh, and they were doing it for the wrong reasons. They were all show and kind of no-go, if you will. They did not lead by example. They didn't choose their words wisely. And they set themselves above everybody. Okay? Um, do as I say, not as I... Do, do as I say, look how holy and righteous I am. Uh, but they do the opposite. And they speak the opposite. 
Um, now that word phylactery, that's kind of built in there, uh, just for some, j just for to make sure we understand what that is. That's like a basically it's like a little leather pouch they used to wear on their arm uh, and around their forehead, and there was it was it was to hold scripture, and it was supposed to be a reminder uh, as the obedience of admonition, okay, which is to remind us what what they were supposed to be doing to be close to God, to keep reminding them of the scripture. So. Interesting, verse 1, as we start through James, uh, it really speaks to, you know, choosing our words wisely, talking about, you know, those are in, in positions to bring the gospel, that we need to be very cognizant that it's not about us, it's about Jesus Christ, and that is the most important thing. So, let's go to verse 2, which states, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. So we look at this verse, and you know, for clarity, there is no one who is perfect, only Jesus Christ. However, what James is trying to reiterate that when a man who choose a man who chooses to observe his words wisely, when we do this, man or woman, um, it's reflected in the person's character. Okay. Uh, he also states that. All Christians will stumble. All of us will, which means sinning. That that will happen. It starts to speak to if we're able to consciously resist sin and control our tongue, this does start to reflect Christ-like behavior. We are not perfect. We are not perfect, but we should seek to grow in God's holiness. James justifies this in James 1, and we can also look in James 1, verse 26, as he's speaking uh, to hearing and doing the word, whereas he states, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So, who is accountable for the tongue? At the end of the day, we are. We need to be cognizant of what we say. We need to go in a Christ-like manner, and we need to drive glory to God through his word. So let's move on to our second question here that we're going to address. Is a small object like the tongue really that powerful? So let's, we're going to chunk in verses 3 to 5 together, which state, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by such strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. The will of the pilot. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Okay? It only takes a spark to start a fire. That's what he's trying to say, something very, very tiny, very small. James uses those examples um, of the bit in the horse's mouth to control where it's guided. And we know that. that, that they're not in control now. This bit is in control, okay? And, and the, the rider is moving the horse around. This shows that the tongue, this shows that the tongue really, if it's not tamed, does have control over everything a person says or does. We need to be cognizant of that. If we look to the book of Psalms, if we look to Psalm 32, uh, verse 9, it reiterates the need for control, where David says, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, 
which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. So again, that's reiterating something very, very tiny that can control uh, an entire person. And he gives the fact that humans, we are above animals. We, we, we essentially have dominion over them in those cases, but, but we need to look at controlling our tongue. We need to think. And James really gives a great example in verse 4 of a tiny rudder on a ship that the pilot directs. Regardless of the powerful winds, the pilot is in control and the pilot steers that rudder and has direct influence of where that ship is going, where we are going, what we are saying. And this is where this kind of comes in. This reflects that small things can have a great impact in the bigger picture of what we're saying, how we're presenting ourselves, what we are doing, what are we leading a Christ-like life. So let's look at verse 5, where James starts to speak to the boasting, okay, and how a small spark or a fire can set an entire forest ablaze. Pride is a major cause of the misuse of our tongues, my friends. The tongue is presented here to show that it can yield great things, and sometimes those things are not for the better. They're not Christ-like they're not God-honoring. They do not drive glory to God. The small fire are those who are prideful and to not use their tongues wisely, okay? And this happens to all of us. It happens to me. It happens to all of us. This results in a forest being ablaze, which represents a world of unrighteousness. Again, we can reference the Psalms to see examples of those who are not careful with their tongues. As David says in Psalm 73, verses 8 to 9, he says, They scoff and speak with malice. Lofty, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. So, like, listen, they speak with malice. They threaten the oppression. They, their mouths are against the heavens. So th these are conscious choices that people are making, and their tongue struts through the earth. This is the pride. This is the pride that we have, right? It looks and describes wicked, carefree lives of people who do not care what they say, which ultimately, biblically, speaks against God and can start a massive massive fire okay and it's not that is not a good way to be so let's go to our third question and we're going to move through the scripture can we tame the tongue can we tame it so i'm going to address i'm going to try to address two different areas here uh, to answer this question so we're going to look at verses six to nine and it says and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness the tongue is set among our members staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no human being can tame the tongue it is a restless evil full of deadly poison with it we bless the lord our father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeliness of god so we could be very straightforward and say, oh yeah, well, James says it's, it, it can't be tamed. Well, there's, we're going to look at it a little bit more here. So well, let's break down these verses. So verse 6, he says, James says the tongue is a fire. It's unrighteous. 
I mean, it stains the body and is set on fire by hell. Like These are very vivid and powerful words, and they should impact us, okay, and give us as a reminder that the tongue, when uttering evil things, represents and puts into expression all the wickedness of the world. So the tongue can have a great impact, a huge impact. It can throw a person's life into constant turmoil if we are careless with it. And the final words in verse 6, and set on fire by hell, and set on fire by hell. Evil speech is destructive. And this comes directly from Satan's influence. And we, we need to be cognizant, we need to choose our words wisely, because they can really cause a lot of damage. If, again, if we look to the Psalms where David in Psalm 120, verses 2 to 3, and it helps justify that statement in verse 6 where he says, Deliver me, O Lord, from my lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? David knows, he, he realizes that words can cause so much damage it's 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 incredible, okay? Uh, and we and we see there that it shows that there are lasting consequences that will that will stay, okay? And it's partnership to allow evil to have influence over us, and we need to resist that. So let's look at Psalms. Let's let's move on. Actually, let's look at Proverbs, where it says uh, Proverbs sixteen verse twenty seven, where it says, "A worthless man plots evil." And his speech is like a scorching fire. There's so many examples of we need to get in control. We need, like where the Bible says we need to choose our words wisely. We need to get in control. We need to drive it, the glory to God. And our speech should be modeled to Christ. It should be a Christ-like manner. So let's, let's move to verses 7 and 8. We'll look at this as a pair. So James first gives the examples of what can be tamed. Because he states, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. This he makes very clear. But when we move into verse 8, he says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So these words really resound to the fact that only God, by his power alone, can tame or subdue the tongue. Now we think, well, well, Dwayne, well, this doesn't make sense. It's kind of contradictory. We need to look to Christ. We need to look to him. We need to pray and have the Holy Spirit penetrate us and bind us and guide us to make good decisions about what we're saying, about what we're doing, because they can have lasting effects. We need to be very cognizant. We need to be aware of what we're saying, and we need to ask ourselves, we can ask ourselves too, is this glorifying God? Is this a Christ-like manner, and if the answer is no, then maybe we shouldn't be we shouldn't be saying that, or maybe we should not say it if it has not been spoken as of yet. So let's move to verse nine. Okay, it speaks to the hypocrisy of blessing God one moment, and then turning around and cursing those who cursing those who were made by Him. Like it, it, it says, it says we bless the Lord and Father with it, and then. We turn around and we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Like, we're our, we are God's creatures. We, we should not be doing... It's saying we're not, we're not supposed to be doing that, right? Uh, and if we invoke the name of God against the person which he created, that's, 
that's really bad. And when, when I've read through my Bible, they kind of give some, some insight into this. And they say the ESV Bible actually says it's, it's doubly heinous. And a heinous act is very low. It's, it's, it's very evil. So we need to be cognizant of that. We need to, we need to be aware of that. So let's go to our fourth one, and we're going to kind of tie this up here. Is the tongue hypocritical? So verses 10 through 12 state, From the same mouth come blessing, come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same, from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James again reiterates the importance of realizing that we do have a two-sided, a double-sided tongue. We speak to blessings, and then we curse in his name. Okay, and James uses the examples in James to drive home that message. He gives the example of spring water and asks if it can produce both salt and fresh. He speaks about a fig tree and bearing olives. He talks about the grapevine producing figs. These examples kind of show us that you, you, you can't have that. It's, it's, it's impossible. You can't have two types of water coming from the same opening. You can't have two types of fruit coming from the same tree. Okay? And when we think about this, we are the ones that are producing this. Um, we are the ones that when we, we, we should, we can't be speaking or glorifying God and then turn around and like, you know, gossiping and deterring and being vulgar to others. That, that these are what these examples, like we should not be doing this. It's, it's not honoring Christ. It's not a God-like, it's not a God-honoring, Christ-honoring Christian demeanor. So we have, to, we have to think about that. Matthew 7, verses 16 to 20 states that, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. <clears throat> Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. As true believers, we should not produce both blessings and then cursings towards others. We should bear good fruit all the time. Are we going to be perfect? No, we're not. But we need to realize that and we need to ask Christ for help. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit to guide us and to help it move us forward. So with this, how do we apply this to our lives? What does James 3 verses 1 to 12 teach us? So there's, there's about nine things, there's nine questions we can ask ourselves regarding Scripture and this specific piece of Scripture. Is there an example to follow? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a prayer to repeat? Is there a command to obey? Is there a condition to meet? Is there a verse to memorize? Is there an error to mark? And is there a challenge to face? So we're going to look at two of these. Okay, we're not going to, we're not, not all nine. So we're going to look at two of these. So the first one, is there a sin to avoid? Yes, there is. When we look at the resounding theme in these verses, 
And it says that the tongue is of a sinful nature. The ability to control what we say and maybe take a moment to ponder what effect our words will have on others and is it Christ-like? Is it driving glory to God? Okay, this could be something we should think about before we speak. Jesus stated in Matthew 15, verse 11, that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Reflecting on sinful thoughts and actions, including words, my friends, as a result of this sinful action, we can see that these things end up with a de- we end up having a defiled heart. So it's what comes out of us that is very, very important. And Christ has said that. So the second one, number two, is there a challenge to face? Yes, there is. There is a challenge to face. James notes, we cannot praise God and then turn around and curse the very creation that he himself created. The challenge to recognize become self-aware that these actions are not Christ-like behavior. How do we as Christians, how do we as Christians, as God-fearing Christians, how do we exemplify Christ-like behavior? Okay, as an example to follow. How do we tame that tongue? Again, let's turn to the scripture. It's a wonderful piece of scripture. I love it. It's found in the first book of Timothy, uh, where Paul notes in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, that let no one despise you for your mouth, but set the, bo- but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul reiterates this. We, the first example, in speech. He wants to make sure, he's reiterating, like we are, our words need to be glory-driving to God and Christ-like. So, we are not perfect. We are absolutely not perfect. Is the tongue sinful? Yes, it is. Can we control it? Through God's help. The scripture says God, God is the only one who can tame the tongue. We need to ask God for help with these things. And it's, it's, we need to pray to Christ, and we need to ask him to guide us, have the Holy Spirit penetrate us. Um, James 3 is an incredible piece of text. Uh, it's an incredible uh, chapter of the Bible, and, and yeah, it can teach us a lot. So why don't we, uh, I'll just take a moment and close in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for bringing us today together today. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the spilled blood of Christ who defeated sin, Satan, and death on the cross. Lord, we thank you that we do have Christ as our Savior, that he will intercede for us, and that we have the Holy Spirit to penetrate us and guide us so that we may choose our words wisely, that we may exemplify Christ-like living, and we may drive glory to God, because at the end of the day, that is the only thing that matters, is bringing glory to God's name. Lord, we thank you for this congregation. We thank you for our church family. We thank you for everything you have done for us. And for most of all, Jesus Christ, we thank you for our Savior. For without him, we would be truly lost. And we love you, and we praise you, and we give you all the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.